on-demand coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Wednesday edition of PFT PM, one week away from the start of free agency. It will be going crazy exactly one week from now. It's already kind of crazy. Crazy day. Unexpectedly crazy day. Five down territory. Interview of USC coach Clay Helton. And then the best questions that I see as I scroll through. Had a complaint yesterday. Had 11 minutes of content on PFTPM. And then question after question after question. A lot of good questions. And the questions frame the discussion. Is it lazy? Yes. Is it easy? Absolutely. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't. But it's interactive as well. You get information, you get the benefit of my insights all in that structure of whatever questions are asked. Today, plenty of things to talk about without getting to questions. First, the Bennett brothers on the move. Marty dumped by the Patriots with a $2 million roster bonus due next week. Does that mean they know something about Rob Gronkowski? Or would they do it with or without Gronkowski returning? Remember, Drew Rosenhaus, Gronkowski's agent, told us in Indianapolis that there's no timetable on Gronkowski making a decision on whether he will continue to play football. And when I asked Rosenhaus whether or not the Patriots have asked for a decision, he declined to answer. So Martellus Bennett out. Just last week, he won a grievance that had been filed by the Packers over his signing bonus from last year. They argued that he concealed his rotator cuff injury and that he should pay a major portion of it back. The problem is they had cut him and his contract had been claimed on waivers. And if anybody was going to be seeking any rights under the contract, it would have been the Patriots. Patriots letting him go. He won't pass through waivers because the trade deadline hasn't come and gone yet. Once the waiver period opens after the Super Bowl, anyone with four or more years of experience instantly becomes a free agent if he's cut. So he's instantly a free agent. He can sign with any team he wants. He was talking about retiring last year after the Aaron Rodgers injury. I think he was cajoling his way out of Green Bay. Now he's out of New England, and he can go anywhere he wants to go. It'll be interesting to see if his career continues. Michael Bennett's career is going to continue with the Eagles. Traded to Philadelphia, along with a seventh-round pick from Marcus Johnson, a reserve receiver, and a fifth-round pick. $6.65 million in compensation becomes the obligation of the Eagles, greasing the skids for Vinnie Curry to be cut giving the Eagles another pass rusher and making the Super Bowl champion potentially even better if Bennett can still bring it. Remember back in 2014, the Do Your Job documentary, as the Patriots prepared for the Super Bowl, it was obvious that they were obsessed with Michael Bennett, that they regarded him as a guy who could do major damage. Now, that was four years ago. He's had knee issues. Not the guy he used to be. The Falcons reportedly were interested. The Eagles get it done, and it didn't take much. Marcus Johnson and a five for Bennett and a seven. I asked Pete Carroll last week, is it fair to extrapolate the significant turnover in the coaching staff as looming significant turnover on the roster? He said that's not logical. And maybe it isn't, but Michael Bennett out. Is Richard Sherman next? That's second down. Quick five-down territory. Second down, Richard Sherman reportedly telling teammates, saying goodbye. Hey, and I thought he was saying goodbye last November when he tore the Achilles tendon in the Thursday night game against the Cardinals, and we saw him stay on the sidelines for 
an extended period of time in full uniform. I think he knew there was a good chance it was the last time he'd ever be in a Seahawks uniform. Then he had said a couple of weeks ago that he had no reason to think he wouldn't be with the Seahawks. And now I think the reason's there. And as I've pointed out a couple of times, Sherman's at the forefront of this anti-agent movement. And I've said it from the moment it first came up when Russell Okung decided he was going to go into free agency with an agent, and he did a bad contract for himself the first time around. Did better last year. I'll give him credit for that. Two years ago, someone flat out misrepresented the value of the deal that he signed with the Denver Broncos. It was a bad deal. It was a one-year deal. He didn't make much money. The Broncos didn't pick up the option in 2017. With the Chargers, Okung did better for himself. With the Broncos, when he should have been striking while the iron is as hot as it's ever going to be. His first round rookie contract had expired. He was available. He was free. He didn't cash in anywhere close to how he should have. And if he had an agent, he would have gotten more. He would have gotten more from the Seahawks than the Broncos. I heard after the fact that once he signed the deal with Denver, the Seahawks are saying, well, we would have done better than that. Now Sherman with the Seahawks deciding he's going to go it alone, and it complicates his effort to navigate what the Seahawks surely will be doing. Reportedly, he's going to be talking to the Seahawks about his future. They're not going to want to pay him $11 million for this year, especially coming off of the torn Achilles. Now, will they be able to cut him if he can't pass a physical? No. But where does this really stand for him going forward? And would they, would they be more likely to keep him if he were in a position where he could gauge the market for his services elsewhere. If he had an agent, the agent could do that. The agent could have met with other teams at the scouting combine last week in Indianapolis. The agent could have found out what was behind door number 2345 before getting a proposal from the Seahawks. But again, the one fly in the ointment here, can they cut him if he's yet to pass a physical, now they can continue to wait and they can dump him later when he does pass a physical. Or they could just cut him now and assume that at some point between now and September he would have passed a physical and assume the risk of a grievance if he doesn't land with another team. He'd have to pass a physical to land with another team. I think they'd kind of like to get him off the books if they are going to move on. They'd like to free up the cap space. And his lack of an agent complicates matters. Look, for what you pay, and you can negotiate as low of a fee as you want, and you could negotiate an hourly rate if you want with an agent. But there are too many things that the agents, good agents, know how to do that the players just shouldn't worry about. Why do you want to even try to represent yourself? Once you have the means to pay for an agent, you just pay for the agent. Because the agent has expertise. If you have a good agent, if you have a bad agent, it's better to have no agent. But as it relates to Lamar Jackson before the draft, all of these issues that need to be addressed in the media, reporters who need to be finessed or, or dealt with more aggressively depending upon the things they're reporting, pundits who are suggesting that you should be a receiver instead of a quarterback, you need an advocate. And good agents, trust me, I've dealt with them over the years. They can be very persuasive advocates. They can be so relentless that you eventually agree 
to fix whatever you said or consider the angle or whatever, just to shut them up. Like, okay, fine, fine. Yeah, okay, fine. Will you, will you leave me alone, please? You need that. You need that expertise. You need somebody with the connections. You need somebody who knows how to get things done. You need somebody who knows how to gauge the market. You need somebody who knows all the people and can call them whenever he or she wants. So I'm not going to be surprised if Sherman ends up being cut. And then he's going to have to navigate on the back end. And he may end up with less from somebody else than what the Seahawks would have paid him if he'd have been able to properly gauge the market. Third down, Alec Ogletree, the Rams linebacker, traded. He just signed a contract extension in October of 2017. The statement from GM Les Snead at the time, Alec has evolved into a true leader of our football team, and we're excited to sign him to this extension. His teammates voted him as a captain in back-to-back seasons for a reason, and it's not only because of his production, but his character and resiliency. We look forward to Alec helping our team emerge as a consistent winner for years to come. Oops. Look, this is one of the realities of having... Guys that need to be paid. Guys you've already paid may need to go away. Robert Quinn, gone. Alec Ogletree, gone. Tavon Austin, soon to be gone. That one's not a surprise. Ogletree, a little more surprising. Not a huge haul in return for Ogletree, who goes to the Giants. But Ogletree now, the latest example. They're going to have to make some tough decisions. They're going to have to let go of some good players. And Wade Phillips, the defensive coordinator, apparently decided after one year he can make this thing go without Ogletree. And this is all about having the money to pay Aaron Donald, having the money to pay Todd Gurley, who becomes a free agent after the 2019 season, having the money to pay Marcus Peters if they decide to keep him, and ultimately the money to pay Jared Goff. Tough decisions need to be made. Rams trying to get better, but in some areas you're going to have to take a chance of getting worse. There's only so much available. That's third down on to fourth down. Some media dynamics that are surprising. The first one isn't. Peyton Manning being offered reportedly up to $10 million per year by ESPN or Fox. That's not a surprise to me at all. Peyton Manning's worth it. Peyton Manning's going to be great if he gets into broadcasting. Peyton Manning's going to succeed at anything he does. I've said that for a long time now. And I was not an overly zealous Peyton Manning fan when he was playing. But I'm convinced the guy can be wildly successful at anything he chooses to do. He's going to put his mind to it. He's going to work hard and he's going to be good. The times he's been in the broadcast booth, I think one time he was in with Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth at the Hall of Fame game or somewhere like that. He was great. Loose, self-aware, folksy, smart, prepared. He'll be great. He'll instantly be the best analyst in NFL history because he'll do everything he can to will himself into that job. Maybe they'll change the game from Madden to Manning. You think I'm kidding? I don't think they're ever going to change the name of Madden. But if you're going to change it to anything, why not change it to Manning? I don't know anything about the terms of the contract. Manning 21. From Madden 20 to Manning 21. I I doubt that's going to happen. But... But I think Peyton Manning would be great for Monday Night Football or Thursday Night Football. If I were he, I'd be leaning toward Thursday Night Football. We'll see how it all plays out. Also, Russell Wilson. How about Russell Wilson taking over quarterback camp? That was a shocker. I had been wondering, what are they going to do? 
with John Gruden out, I guess they're just not going to do it. They're going to give up on the franchise of John Gruden with that spider two wide banana. I can't do it. I like John Gruden, too. Great for football. He's been generous with his time. We've had him on the program twice, PFT Live. Now Russell Wilson getting to dip his toe in the media water. A harbinger. Is harbinger the right word to use there? A sign of things to come. I think harbinger. I don't know if harbinger necessarily means bad or good or just generic. Either way, Russell Wilson giving us a glimpse of what his future holds. Now, remember, he told me last year during football season he's going to play until he's 45. So it may be a while until we see full-time Russell Wilson. But could it be that Russell Wilson is the new year-in and year-out John Gruden for the quarterbacks entering the draft, and could that be a precursor to eventually taking over whatever weekly NFL broadcast ESPN has, assuming they have one beyond the expiration of their current contract? So now you've got Kirk Herbstreet sitting in John Gruden's draft chair. You've got Russell Wilson sitting in his quarterback camp chair. Who's going to sit in his Monday night football chair? Will it be Peyton Manning or will it be someone else? And is the fact that they hired Russell Wilson to do the quarterback camp an indication that they're not getting Peyton Manning? Because I still think that it's going to be Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler on Monday night football if they don't get Peyton Manning. The fact that they've gone forward with Russell Wilson to do quarterback camp, does that mean they're not getting Peyton? Because if I'm ESPN, I want him for that too. Absolutely. Absolutely, positively, give me Peyton Manning for quarterback camp. But Russell Wilson will be good. Will it be one quarterback every year, or will they try to groom and develop a guy? I have a feeling it's Russell Wilson's for as long as he wants to do it, unless it's bad. But I don't think it will be. Wilson, another guy who think, who I think will be successful. He speaks well. He's charismatic. He's smart. He works hard. He'll do everything he needs to do to understand these kids. He'll give them great advice. And in the advice that he gives them, we'll get a glimpse of how he plays. Remember, it was last week when we were talking to Pete Carroll in Indianapolis, how Russell Wilson has that Barry Sanders instinct, that ability to to keep himself healthy. I'm going to be fascinated when he's talking to a quarterback who runs, who puts his body at risk, what kind of advice is he going to give? Because you either know how to avoid injury or you don't. Look at Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz doesn't know how to avoid it, and he claims he's not going to change his playing style. What kind of advice will Wilson have? Will he pull up film? I remember RG3's Baylor film. You know, he didn't run away from all physical danger then. He took some hits. He just didn't get hurt because the players weren't as big and strong as the ones that he faced at the NFL level. This advice that Russell Wilson gives these kids, I, I'd be I'd be nervous if I was the Seahawks. You know, I'm kind of thinking out loud here because what he says, he's going to have to hold some cards close to the vest. What he says, I mean, if I'm the 49ers, the Rams, the Cardinals, anybody who plays the Seahawks, I'm going to listen very carefully for anything he says that could possibly be used when preparing to face the Seahawks. But I think Russell will be great. I think Manning will be great. And if I had to guess, I'd say we're going to see Peyton Manning on Thursday Night Football, assuming he wants to do it at all. But you know what? Playing coy has helped drive the number to $10 million a year. The best leverage for anything, for anything, is I'm not interested. Think about it. 
You got a nice car that somebody wants to buy. Hey, how much you want for the car? Sorry, I'm not interested. No, really, how much you want? I I'm not interested. H how about 50000 I'm not interested. Okay, 60. I'm not interested. All right, all right. You, you, you beat me down, 70. Same thing with a house. Somebody comes up, knocks on the door. Hey, I like your house. I'd like to buy it. It's not for sale. How much you want? It's not for sale. How about that? Not for sale. How about this? Not for sale. How about more? Not for sale. Manning's been not for sale. And now he's, he's got a price tag of $10 million a year. They have a bidding war over Peyton Manning. And he's shown no inclination that he wants to work in TV. Although he did drive the pace car for the Daytona 500, a Fox broadcast. I think he's going to end up with Fox Thursday Night Football. That's what I would do. Bigger platform, home for the weekends. Maybe work some playoff games. Three-man booth. Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, Peyton Manning. How about that? Fifth down, Jerry Jones. How about this? Players who find themselves caught in the gears of justice, big shield style, they never get a chance to settle. When the NFL has them dead to rights, they never get a chance to settle. Here's the statement from the NFL. After a hearing with the commissioner and the finance committee, the matter of the reimbursement of legal fees has been resolved to the satisfaction of all parties. That's an interesting statement. After hearing with the commissioner and the finance committee, we thought it was just the commissioner. The finance committee was part of it. The matter involved reimbursement of more than $2 million in attorney's fees arising from threats of litigation against the members of the compensation committee over the Roger Goodell contract and alleged assistance, substantial assistance, that was the standard, of Ezekiel Elliott and his litigation against the NFL over a six-game suspension. Now, I thought he had a very good argument, Jerry Jones did, on this notion of threatening litigation versus initiating litigation. There's no fee-shifting provision for threatening litigation and causing people to spend legal fees in anticipation of the possibility of being sued. And my understanding is the bulk of the fees came from that. When Jerry Jones threatened to sue his partners and the league office over Roger Goodell's proposed contract extension and brought in David Boyce. And if that's the case, man, I got out of the profession at the wrong time. Two million in legal fees or the bulk of two and a half million in legal fees over that? Some, some letters being written, some research being done? Are you kidding me? I think he had exposure over the Elliott thing, but I think he had a very good argument to say, I didn't initiate any litigation, I just threatened it. To the NFL, it doesn't matter because the commissioner has the final say. And Jerry Jones got a chance maybe to carve off a few cents on the dollar. According to ESPN, he's still going to pay at least $2 million. Okay. Does a player who's facing a four-game suspension get a chance to negotiate to three? Six, get a chance to negotiate to five? I have a feeling before Ezekiel Elliott cried uncle, and took his six-game suspension, they at least made a phone call to say, would you like to resolve it for five, for four? Why does Jerry Jones get to save a little bit of face here? He didn't get to save much. Players get to save none. I mean, all Roger Goodell had to do was drop the gavel and say, pay it all. Why, when they have an owner dead to rights, does he get to settle? And a player rarely, if ever, gets that opportunity. All right, as promised, the man who coached Sam Darnold, the man who faced Josh Rosen, the man who also 
coached running back Ronald Jones and receiver Deontay Burnett. Clay Helton of the USC Trojans right now. Joining us now, as promised, a man who's entering his third season as head coach of the USC Trojans. Last year, an 11-3 overall record, 8-1 in the Pac-12 and winner of the conference championship game. He is USC coach Clay Helton. Coach, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Mike. Real appreciate you having me. Well, I appreciate some of your time. And, and let's look back at 2017 as you reflect on that season. Give me one thing that stands out to you that you're, that you're the most proud of. Um, just taking the next step forward. You know, we had come uh, off a, a big Rose Bowl victory uh, for our 2016 team, but really had a goal of being a Pac-12 conference champion, uh, something that we had not done since 2008. Uh, and to be able to take that uh, take that 2017 team and accomplish that goal, finishing 8-1 and in the conference and being a good uh, Stanford team in, in the Pac-12 championship game was, was our next step. And uh, you always want to make progress moving forward to come off 2016 with 10 wins, then 2017 with 11 in a, in a championship. Um, it shows our next step, and very proud of that. And as we look forward to 2018, what do you think is necessary to take that next step uh, when you get an opportunity against a team like an Ohio State in the future to, to break through that level and, and get past a team like that? Yeah, you know, we our next step is the playoffs, and our ultimate goal always here is to win national championships. That's what that's what USC is. That's the expectations, not only for our fan base, but more importantly for our team and our staff. So, um, for us, it's going to be um, one replacing some guys that uh, are. Are, we're very special. You know, when you lose a 4,000-yard passer, a 1,500-yard rusher, and an 1,100-yard receiver, you know, we've trained some younger kids to be able to have their time now to step forward and, and to be playmakers. So um, it, it's about us really coming together as far as a team chemistry on all phases, playing great team football. We may not have a superstar right now. We'll probably have one by the end of the season. But right now, our depth and our talent across the board is what stood out to me at, a, at yesterday's first practice yeah and you're in an intriguing spot now with Sam Darnold gone at quarterback you've got Matt Fink and Jack Sears battling out in spring practice JT Daniels eventually arrives for fall practice but when you have leadership from a quarterback how do you replicate that when it essentially is an open competition and neither guy has emerged as a starter therefore neither guy can be the team leader yeah, well, that's part of the intangibles of the position, and that's one of the things that you look at when you're evaluating quarterbacks is, uh, thank goodness we have 15 practices, you know, in spring, as well as 25 practices in fall camp to make that decision, and that's part of the evaluation process is how you control uh, your offense, be a field general, and move the ball. Um, so that, that comes into play, and they're given those opportunities um, in both of those camps to show and put their best foot forward. You've got Sam Darnold now in, I think, a very intriguing situation. Five top quarterback prospects this year, and you could ask five different people and they'd give you five different rankings of where they all fit. What, in your experience with Sam Darnold, sets him apart from the rest? Um, obviously, I'm biased, and this is a great quarterback class, but uh, having been around Sam, I, I think he has all the qualities that we look for in our organization in a quarterback. One, he has unbelievable intangibles, leadership, representing the organization on a daily basis, his consistency and, and stability each and every day when he comes into the workplace. I think he's second to none. He has all the mechanical aspects, good decision maker, gets the ball out on time, and provides 
provides great accuracy uh, at the position. But at the end of the day, I've always thought great quarterbacks just win and produce. And when you look at since that, that kid has been the starter here, I think he's like 20 and three and has won a Rose Bowl, has won a Pac-12 title. He has just made us a better football team. And no matter what organization is lucky enough to get him, he's going to make that organization better um, just by his character, by his play, and what he stands for on a day-to-day basis. And we hear this concept from time to time about quarterbacks who are winners. And some people will say because you've got 11 people on the field going against 11 people that one person can't influence whether and to what extent a team wins games. In your experience, Coach, what about a great quarterback, a guy like a Sam Darnold, helps a team win even though he's just one out of 22 guys who are on the field? Yeah, I'm a true believer. Uh, You don't see a lot of great quarterbacks on bad teams. Quarterbacks win games, and they make their team better. Um, I I think of even Deshaun Watson, what he brought to the table prior to injury, just as a young person going to the Texans and to watch him play. You can just see the enthusiasm that that team had. Um, So, And you have older guys. I mean, you think of Tom Brady. What has he done with the Patriots? They're a great football team. Not because, uh, yes, they have a great organization, but his level of play and his consistency over a a long long time um, really has separated him as one of the greatest. And, you know, so I I truly believe that quarterback position uh, is so valuable, not only at our level, um, but at the NFL level, that when you have a great quarterback, you have a really good football team. Give me one thing you think that Sam Darnold needs to work on to be a truly great quarterback at the next level where the windows get more narrow, everybody's moving faster, the game's moving faster. What's one area where he's going to need to consciously try to improve? Well, I, I think for for him and, and what's the beauty about him, I think his ceiling is so high. I don't think he's anywhere near a finished product. You know, he, he's literally only five semesters at USC. Um, and one of the things that I thought he really improved on from day one till now is is his recognition of defenses, whether it was front coverage, coverages, having to re-mic, uh, diagnosing coverages to see the, where the one-on-one matchup, and letting the ball go. And I, I don't think he has a frailty in anything. I just think the more he gets reps, the more he develops, especially with the looks that are given in in the NFL, I think he's going to be a prize. I I really do. But I look forward to continuing to watch his development, his knowledge of the game. Because the one thing the kid does do, I'll give him credit, he lets the ball go with no hesitation. Um, And and that's a sign of great quarterbacks is being that anticipatory thrower. uh, And that's what he is. During the season, I I got some opinions from scouts and decision makers in the NFL about Sam Darnold and his counterpart in L.A., Josh Rosen. And a lot of people said to me that they would have preferred that they both stay for another year. They'd benefit from that. Do you think Sam Darnold would have benefited from another year at USC? Well, I think any time that you, you're able to get reps, whether it's in college or, or in the NFL, the more reps that you get, the better you're going to be. And I think with both those two kids, both of them are truly elite, um, and they're going to grow. Um, whether they had stayed in college or whether they go on to the NFL, reps are going to be the key for both of them. They're both leaving early. But, you know, both are elite quarterbacks, and, and both are probably uh, going to be taken in one of those top ten picks uh, in the first round. And when you think about what you can do for your 
your family financially. Uh, think about um, you know being able to help a team at that level. I don't hold it against either one of them doing what's best for them. Uh, but they'll continue to grow. I don't think either one. I know both kids are great kids. Um, neither one of them are finished products, and they'll continue to grow in the NFL. When you advise your players, Coach, on what to do when they're facing that decision to stay or leave, how much do you balance the reality that they can go get paid and take care of their family versus whether or not they truly are ready to to deal with the physical, mental, and emotional demands of playing in the NFL? Yeah, I think one of the things that we have the advantage of here is being at USC. Um, because when you talk about USC, you're in the second largest media market there is in the country. So uh, I've always thought being at USC is the, the greatest training tool you can possibly have for being a, a uh, NFL quarterback or in any position because the level of expectation in this city uh, and with the fan base is extremely high, just like it is in the NFL, as well as you know what comes with the media. In Sam's case, uh, in every one of our players' case, uh, I, I try to be as honest as humanly possible to be able to say, hey, this is where the NFL evaluation has come back. This is what teams have you ranked right now. This is the financials behind that. Uh, in Sam's case, Sam, if you have the op- if you decide that you stay, you're coming back for the experience, the experience of playing with your brothers, the experience to build your legacy even more here at USC, to gain, to gain the reps, to even be more pro-ready. But at the end of the day, you know, he's going to be a top 10 pick in my mind, and and you try to be realistic with him and, and very honest and truthful with him and his family um, that that this is where you're going to fall. It, you're not going to play yourself up in, in another, another year. You are going to be a top 10 pick, but if you come back, here are the advantages of it. Um, that's a choice. You give them the best information humanly possible, uh, be honest with them, uh, and then let them make the best decision for themselves and be there in a supportive manner. Did he ask you for a recommendation as to what you would do in his spot, stay or go? Uh, no, no. He just wanted the information, and that's what I, I gave him. I said, you know, Sam, I'll give you my opinion if asked, um, but these are the pros, these are the cons, um, and this is the reality of your situation, and I'm here for you to help you in any possible way, but uh, but these are the facts, and, and that's my job. And then if they ask my opinion, I'll give it to them. What would your opinion have been? Um, I think in his in his situation uh, where he was, I don't think he could have gone wrong either way, to be honest with you. Um, when you're talking about being a top 10 pick with those financials uh, in, in play and having the experience he had here, I think he's more than pro-ready. Uh, I think he's ready to go lead a football team. Um, I, you know, being greedy, I wish I had him for another year. <laughs> he's really good, but the kid is more than pro-ready. Um, and, and ready to lead an organization. And I'm so happy for him and his family, what's getting ready to happen for him. That's why you come to USC. Um, and it was his time. And uh, I, I think he made a great decision for himself. Coach, I was just at the scouting combine in Indianapolis, and Sam Darnold was the only one of the five big-name quarterbacks that chose not to throw at the combine. And look, from my perspective, it's an individual decision. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. Some in the media think that we have a right to be entertained. He got some criticism for not competing in that setting. What was your reaction to the notion that, that he'd be called out and criticized for making what essentially is a business decision not to throw in that setting? 
Well, I think every every young man has to make the decisions as best for him. Uh, you know, I haven't talked to Sam since he's gotten back from from the combine, but I I know one thing about Sam. Sam, he's always going to make the best decision in the moment, and and if he feels like it's better to throw on pro day, I'm all for him. Um, you know, he I'll say this: uh, in my 24 years of experience, uh, all in college, I have never uh, been around that a man that is more competitive uh, than Sam Darnold. You know, so um, he he loves to compete uh, and loves to be able to show what he can do, and when the timing is right, he will. What was your biggest challenge when game planning for Josh Rosen when facing UCLA? Uh, really, in my mind, his deep ball accuracy I thought was off the charts. Um, he, he just has a, a tremendous knack of dropping it in the bucket and giving his playmakers the opportunities to make plays. And uh, when he had Lasley, who I think is a tremendous receiver, uh, in one-on-one opportunities, he gave him the opportunity to make plays. So I've always I, and I, I got to watch Josh grow up uh, since gosh dang, him and my son played together in Pop Warner. Uh, and had the opportunity to watch him grow up, and he's always had great, great deep ball accuracy, and I know that's something that will carry over to the league for him. Is it fair for people to raise questions about him as an NFL player because he's he's candid, he speaks his mind, he's not a robot like so many other players are? No, the kid's a great kid, and and he's going to do well in the NFL and represent uh, the organization that 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 he goes to. Um, but uh, he is a brutally honest person, and uh, he is going to speak his mind. That's one of his traits, and he's been that way ever since I've known him. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. At the end of the day, uh, he knows how to win football games. He knows how to re- represent himself and his family, and uh, he'll do a great job at the next level couple more quick ones before I let you go. You mentioned the running back that you've lost and the receiver you've lost. Ronald Jones, there's been some concerns raised about his frame, 5'11", 200. Will he have the durability to take the pounding that a running back experiences in the NFL? Yeah, he was a very durable uh, athlete for us and a guy that could touch the ball anywhere from 20 to 25 times a game easily, both both running the ball and catching the ball out of the backfield. I, I really became very appreciative of him in, in the latter half of his career because he became an every down back. Um, he really became a kid that had always excelled in the run game but really developed in pass protection and catching the ball out of the backfield. And by the time he left us, I mean, he was a kid that was truly in every down back and a kid that could play if we were in an 80-play game was playing 60 of those plays. So I have no question about the kid's durability. Um, and he, he, he was a kid that was not very injured in his time here, experienced a, a, a ton of reps here for us. Obviously a thousand back-to-back thousand-yard rusher for us his sophomore and junior year. So um, I think it's going to transfer very well uh, over, to the, over to the league. He reminds me uh, a lot of Charles, uh, Kansas City, uh, when he was there. And uh, I know that's one of his favorite players um, and, and who he models himself after. His game is very similar. Deontay Burnett, receiver, had 86 catches over 1,100 yards. I think he's going to get some comparisons to Juju Smith-Schuster, even though they're two different guys. USC receiver comes out last year, has a huge impact for the Steelers. What do you expect Deontay Burnett to do at the next level? Uh, he's just a consistent force on a day-to-day basis and every game. Um, just has He's like Juju um, where he just has a knack of finding a way to get open. Um, he, that knack of getting his body between the defender and the ball. He has 
tremendous body control, very natural pass catcher, and and one of those guys that is a truly football instinctive. He's a student of the game, um, and, and really I think that's going to carry over uh, on Sundays. I think that's why somebody's going to like him. They are two different body types. You know, Juju is a bigger man, um, uh, and I really felt that um, – um, Deontay did a great job, both in as an inside receiver and outside receiver, just because of his football instincts. But both of them had the knack of finding a way to to get open. Hey, coach, I could go on and on, but you got plenty of other things to do than talk to me. So I'm going to let you go. Hopefully, we can do this again down the road. Thanks so much for some of your time, and good luck with everything this this spring. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to Coach Helton. Good stuff about Darnold, Rosen, Jones, Burnett. And now it's time to answer your questions. More than 60 of them today. We appreciate the questions. I'll get to as many as I can. Trying to get to the good ones, the best ones. As I scroll through here, Terry Gensler has a question. Does the Michael Bennett trade make it more clear that the Eagles are going to recoup draft picks by dealing foals? I don't think it makes it more clear, but it gives them an incentive to replenish picks by giving up picks to get Michael Bennett. And Nick Foles is an easy way to do it. Well, who would their backup be? Carson Wentz isn't healthy. Look, they're in a great spot to attract anybody they want to back up Carson Wentz because you have a chance, too, to be the Super Bowl MVP if Wentz continues to play like he played in the past and gets injured again. I think Foles is going to get traded. If it's true there's already offers out there and they've said no, eventually they're going to say yes because Foles is the wild card in all this. At some point, Foles and his agent are going to say, yo, I don't want $7 million this year, and I don't want to sit on the bench. I want to play. Trade me. It's the least you can do. Trade me. Let me play. Let me get paid. And if you don't want to trade me, then you pay me. Remember this. They're facing the reality that Nick Foles walks away next year as a free agent, and all they would get is a compensatory draft pick in 2020. More accurately, his departure would be counted in the formula that weighs total free agency arrivals and departures. Next question at Deal QB8. Rich Eisen ran a 597 at the Combine. If you ran, would it in fact be, quote, better than that, end quote, hashtag more PFTPM guessing games? Look, 597 is not blazing. I admire Rich for doing it every year. It is not blazing. Now, once upon a time, I could have done sub five. I could have done four, six. That was 30 years ago. That was before I ran so much that my knees swell up like cantaloupes anytime I run more than a mile. The bag of broken glass sensation when I move my knee. I'm doing it right now. It's not that bad right now. Uh, it's all, it's, it's crack. It's more like potato chips. It's like potato chip bag that somebody sat on. That's what it feels like. I can ride a bike all day long, but I can't run. So I don't know if I could do a 40. I'd like to think I could do it faster than 597. I'd like to think I could do it faster than 541, although I'm skeptical about Roger Goodell's 541. The most important person in the 40, the person who is stopping and starting the stopwatch. At JRLand80, thanks for bringing back PFTPM. You're welcome. Do you think the Jaguars pick up a quarterback in the draft this year? I think they're in play. And I'm fascinated by the possibility of Lamar Jackson lingering until the bottom of round one and the Jaguars taking him. I don't think he makes it that far. I think somebody's going to be in a position to snag him. And I think if he would stray past 15, you start wondering who's going to trade up from round two to get him. But maybe round two, maybe round three, if there's a quarterback there they like, 
The guy develops quietly and without a lot of pressure. Maybe he ends up being better than Blake Bortles. We'll see. 18 million a year for three years, and they think he can get better, and they have continuity, and they're able to to uh, keep good players around him. Next question. At Appleman2212, can you give some analysis about the Stormy Daniels lawsuit? Is it possible to back out of non-disclosure agreements? Look, I'm only answering that question because Michael Avenatti, who represents Daniels, has sued the NFL twice now. The Super Bowl ticket lawsuit from Dallas, the Hall of Fame game cancellation. He's been on PFT Live in the past. And I think the question is this, the president not a party to the non-disclosure agreement. And also, remember there was a statement made a couple of weeks ago once the lawyer Michael Cohen went public with his position on what it was for, why it was signed, whether he was reimbursed, that that basically opened the door. Because here's the problem. Who's going to sue her? Is the president going to sue her? He's sue happy, and a lot of people are. I'm not saying that in a pejorative sense. I guess it's hard not to say sue happy in a pejorative sense. That's fine. I was part of the legal profession. Hey, whether you're someone who represents the people who sue or the people who get sued, you like lawsuits being filed. One lawyer in town goes hungry. Two lawyers in town live like kings. So I don't know much about the details. I don't know much about the nuances. But the argument, I guess, would be if the president's not a party to it. See, the only person who would have standing to sue is the person who's the party to the agreement. And if Michael Cohen in some way has breached the agreement by talking about it or opened the door, waived the confidentiality, so many of these settlements of lawsuits end up having confidentiality provisions that are just there to scare people into not talking. I'm not aware of many situations. They're not unprecedented, but I'm not, it's, not, it's not entirely common at all for somebody to end up having to face litigation over that. Sometimes it happens because people can be very aggressive. Lawyers can be aggressive, and they want to they scare people in the future into not talking. But I don't know what happens here. Bottom line is, looks like there's a story to tell. I think the story's going to get told. And like so many other things that we think are going to matter in this day and age in politics, it's not going to matter. At recliner quarterback, would the NFL allow Shaquem Griffin to play with a prosthetic hand at the NFL level? Players play with cast braces, et cetera, to make up for physical issues. Why not with a prosthetic hand? Look, he didn't play at UCF with a prosthetic hand. So I I, I don't see why he'd even want one. He just did it because there's no way to bench press without it. So I think he plays without one, and I think he plays well. And I think it's a great, great story as the draft approaches. At RevWebs219, do you think Josh Patricia listens to PFTPM2? Well done. Thank you for listening to PFT Live. If you listen to PFT Live, you know who Josh Patricia is. That was a misstatement by stats earlier today. And I said there's a chance there's a guy out there named Josh Patricia, and there's a chance he's listening to PFT Live. At Harold Wiggins, what happened to smug Sean Payton saying Breeze was a done deal? (laughs) Terry Gensler chimes in with, there's our smudgeness. Arrogant and smudge. He wasn't smudge or smug. He was confident. Deal's getting done. He doesn't think about Drew Brees not playing for the Saints because he's confident the deal's getting done. Mickey Loomis said the deal's getting done. Here's the thing. What's Drew Brees said lately? Not much. Drew Brees has gone Twitter silent. 
since February 17. Unless he's tweeted something today I don't know about. Watch, I'm going to pull up his Twitter page now, and it's going to be uh, happy to be a saint for life. And he's called himself that or something close to it. I don't have any reason at this point to think that he's not going to be a saint other than the fact that he has yet to sign a contract and he will be a free agent one week from now. Other than that, I have no reason to believe he won't be a saint. Other than the fact that his contract with the Saints expires, allowing him to become a free agent and sign with any team he wants, a right that has been augmented by the fact that his contract that's expiring prevents the Saints from using the franchise tag. Other than all of those things, I have no reason to think that he won't be a saint. At OP Hernandez 81, where is Richard Sherman playing next season? To be determined. What else do we have here? At Raleigh TTW, curious about your take on flagship franchises and the notion that they operate according to their own set of rules, like the Steelers' artificial contract deadlines for their players. Do other less popular clubs operate like this as well, just away from the media's radar? Now, I, I think that you have to have a certain cachet as a franchise to dictate. The Patriots dictate. The Patriots will tell agents, for example, we're interested in your guy, but if word comes out that we're interested in your guy, your guy's never going to play here for as long as he lives. The good teams can take those, those positions. The bad teams kind of have to take what they can get. The Steelers are in a position where they can say, we don't renegotiate contracts that have more than a year left. We don't renegotiate contracts once the season has begun. So you have to be a certain level, a certain quality of franchise to get away with it. At Jeff for Life 56, why did Jerry Jones get made an example of, but Bob Kraft didn't? What was the difference, or is this another example of inconsistent justice by the league office? Well, Bob Kraft never sued anybody. He never threatened to sue anybody. Remember, Patriots fans were upset that Bob Kraft didn't fight harder. And there was a thought that maybe they would sue. Maybe they would sue the league. Maybe they'd sue Ted Wells. They didn't. They stopped short. Jerry Jones threatened it and forced the league and member clubs to incur expenses, and he's got to pay because of it. So different circumstances. Jerry Jones crossed a line that Bob Kraft didn't. At Reverend Markworth, is Kirk Cousins actually going to get $30 million a year for three years guaranteed? Look, I don't think so. And that was a Chris Cooley report. An agent told him the Vikings are going to offer that. Three years... $91 million fully guaranteed. The only guy that's gotten three years fully guaranteed was Ndamukin Sue three years ago. Now, he has three years left on his contract. See, I don't see a team, and I got all the reasons listed at PFT. You can read all the reasons there why I think that this report is inaccurate. I don't see the Vikings doing it. I don't see them at that point now. I don't see them ever getting to that point. Maybe I'm wrong. But I'd be shocked. I'd be stunned if the Vikings would sign Kirk Cousins to a three-year, $91 million fully guaranteed contract. At Terry Gensler 14, is pick 32 valuable for trade because there's 24 hours until round two starts? Teams get anxious to get the guy they want, fearing they could get jumped in round two before the break in the draft. You know, I, I don't disagree with that, but I think it's also valuable, and it's more valuable because it entails a five-year contract. So, yeah, if there's a guy that you really want and you're concerned that there's going to be a bidding war for pick 33 and you're not going to get him when Friday night arrives, swoop in and get him at pick 32. But I think the more pressing, the more relevant reason is to get the guy under a potential five-year contract.
at OP Hernandez 81, all that equals better with Michael Bennett. Isn't he a big distraction? He's only a distraction if you let him be a distraction. Michael Bennett is a great player. Now, how much gas does he have left in the tank? I don't know. But I'm a firm believer. Now, Bennett already has a Super Bowl ring. So I don't know whether this applies to him. Wait, does he have a Super Bowl ring? Did he arrive in 2013 or 2014? Let me just check that here in my record and fact book. I don't want to give you a sizzling hot take and have it be factually incorrect. Michael Bennett arrived as a free agent in 2013. So he was there for the first Super Bowl. So he has a ring. I'm a believer in bringing in a veteran player who doesn't have a ring to keep your team from getting complacent. Because you get somebody in the locker room who can maybe be a leader who has yet to win a Super Bowl, and that can give you a nice little kick in the ass. That doesn't apply to Michael Bennett. Although he wasn't there last year. He's five years removed from his last Super Bowl ring. But I think a little turnover like that can be good. I don't have a problem with that. I just want to know, is Bennett still physically gifted enough to be good enough to help the Eagles win? At Andrew Yeh, how does the centralized review process in New York work? Does Al Riveron personally make every call? He doesn't. He's got a lieutenant, Russell Yerk, who's involved in reviewing as well if Riveron is tied up with another replay decision. Because 1 o'clock games, there's a bunch of them. It can happen. Is there a person assigned to every game on Sunday? I think people are watching the games when it's time for replay review. People, There are individuals who study each game. When it's time for replay review, it is Riveron or Yerk. At N. Russell 01 or 0814, what need do you think the Cowboys should address at 19? It depends on who's there. Depends on what happens with the first 18 picks. At Harold Wiggins, how exactly did you and Paul Allen meet? He reached out to me, invited me on his radio show. He said that he was at a Vikings game in the press box and every computer he saw had PFT. And he started to read the site and he said, I better get on this train. So I appreciate the fact that he was ahead of the curve. And, you know, we've got a good rapport. We've got a good chemistry. I like being a guest on his show. When you're the host, you've got to worry about a lot of things, and you've got to play it straight. Like, it's unseemly to be the host and bring on a guest and just bust his balls like I do with Paul Allen. It's easier to do that as the guest. I don't know why. I just don't want to be rude to my guests. I want to treat guests like guests in my home. Maybe I should be more like that. If you've, if you've never heard it, listen KFAN. Some Tuesday, 10.35 a.m. Eastern. Sometimes it moves around. But I like to give it to him from time to time. At Net... Let me try that again. At Nets Jets fan, what do you think the Jets should do at six? If they don't think there's a franchise quarterback in this year's draft class, should they draft another position or trade down for more picks? Look, I think they should bring back Josh McCown and have Josh McCown help them decide which quarterback they want. If they have to trade up a couple of spots to get him, so be it. They're virtually guaranteed to get one of the five quarterbacks. I don't think the first five picks will all be quarterbacks. But the tension comes from this fact. Mike McCagnan, the GM, and Todd Bowles, the coach, may feel compelled to get a free agent and help the team get a lot better right now. A young quarterback doesn't help you get better, which means you may be fired by the time that quarterback comes of age. But long-term interests of the team... I think favor developing a young guy who's going to come into the front end of his prime after Tom Brady's gone. You're going to get a guy for four or five years and Tom Brady's still playing, and what's it going to do? All right. Let's see. What else we have here? At Helen Gooch 99, how many fumbles does Kirk Cousins have? I don't know. I haven't looked that up. It's fairly, it's fairly easy to find. NFL.com, the Kirk Cousins page 
It'll show you all of his stats, game breakdowns, etc. All the fumbled information is there. At Ireland 80, John Elway doesn't like to spend more money than necessary. Doesn't it make sense the Broncos pass on free agent quarterbacks and use the number five pick on whatever quarterback is left they like in the draft? I saw someone suggesting last week that they're talking to the Browns about moving up to number one. That would be something. The guy who was once the number one overall pick in the draft gets the number one overall pick in the draft and gets a quarterback. But they already have a first-round quarterback on the roster. They feel desperate, I think, to turn this thing around quickly. They still have Paxton Lynch under contract. Chad Kelly is a guy who maybe could develop to be decent. But can they afford to roll the dice with Lynch and Kelly this year? I don't think they can. They haven't had back-to-back losing seasons since 1971-1972, and they had a losing season last year. At Terry Gensler 14, is Harry Roseman so aggressive because he spent years watching Joe Banner be perpetually under the cap and never really win anything? That may be part of it. And I think there's tension between Roseman and Banner. I think there's some resentment there. But under Banner, the Eagles were the kings of the offseason Super Bowl trophy. They would sign guys to ultra-long-term deals that those players would end up hating. Then they were reluctant to restructure them. They were reluctant to give the players raises once the market exceeded what they got those guys for. It was more of a game. It was a game of getting guys signed to contracts that would ultimately be very favorable to the team. So, look, Howie Roseman has learned a lot. He learned a lot under Joe Banner. He learned a lot when he was working with Chip Kelly. He learned a lot the year he was in exile, and he's put together a championship team, and he's working aggressively to keep it at that level. At Big Daddy 5124, bigger surprise, the Bennett trade or the Ogletree trade both coughed me off guard says Big Daddy 5124. Bennett had been mentioned before. Ogletree trade left me in shock. I don't know that I'm shocked by it because it makes sense. There's only so much money to go around over the next five years for the Rams, and they're going to have to shed some of these guys. They're going to have to move on from some of these guys if they want to build around a nucleus that includes Aaron Donald, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff, maybe Marcus Peters. And they just signed Ogletree to an extension in October. All right, got to answer a few more and then call it a day because we had the Clay Helton interview. I don't want this thing to go on and on and on. At Crawdad 806, best celebratory whiskey and cigar. Four Roses and a Monte Cristo Double Edmundo. At Paul PJ5, what if a player doesn't join the NFLPA when he enters the league? Does his salary go against the cap? Can he be a free agent, etc.? I think you have to join. You have to join. It's, it's not an option. Now, there are right-to-work states where you can opt out of a union. You still have to pay the dues, but you don't have to be in the union. But you're you're still subject to the same rules. It doesn't change anything. At Scott AZ Skull with the Vikings above-average cap space, what are your thoughts that instead of Cousins, they trade up for a quarterback and supplement the capital traded with the capital saved by not signing Cousins in free agency, bring back Case Teddy for a one-year bridge? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, need, I know they need a franchise quarterback, and preferably a young one. They've had a couple in the past 20 years that they thought were going to develop into long-term answers. Dante Culpepper's career was derailed by a knee injury in 2005. Teddy Bridgewater's derailed by a knee injury in 2016. They really haven't had a young franchise quarterback to build around. They've done the late career thing with Warren Moon, Randall Cunningham, Brett Favre. I think eventually... You know, the next time they find themselves in the top five, and they've been there a few times, I think that's when you just have to bite the bullet and hope you get a Fran Tarkenton. Because that's what every team needs. 
a guy who's going to be the franchise quarterback for 10 to 15 years. At Miles G 2004, do you think it's possible the Patriots trade up to select a quarterback? Yes, I do. They have the extra second-round pick from San Francisco. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Not at all. At Stephen Wise 89, you said on PFTPM yesterday that Michael Clayton is one of your favorite movies. Did you know any janitors, any fixers when practicing law? Or is that merely an expression for all lawyers who clean up legal messes? Yeah, I, I worked at some firms, and there wasn't like a fixer. There wasn't a guy at any firm I worked at that was like the guy to, 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 that could like make magic happen, that could make problems go away. There, there wasn't one lawyer who was responsible for like threading the needle, whatever the jam. You have the hit and run, you know who to call to make it go away. I, I, and there may be guys like that out there, but th- there wasn't anything. I, I only worked at two firms, but there was nothing, nothing like that. At Exegis, if I pronounce that properly, is Stats your employer or NBC's? Thank God he's not mine. He's NBC's problem. At Terry Gensler 14, Phillies and some cap number. Who are some unexpected guys they could part ways with? Well, Vinny Curry's already out there. And, and I think the presumption is they're not going to pick up the option on Torrey Smith, that he'll be cut, he'll be free. Maybe he could return at a reduced salary. But he really didn't do that much statistically. He provides an important asset to a West Coast offense. He stretches the field. But, uh, yeah, I think everyone is in play for the Eagles. Everyone except Carson Wentz. When you think about it, I mean, they got to keep their offensive line together. Jason Peters supposedly is coming back, but they did okay with Big V on the left side and Lane Johnson on the right side. I think they're going to do what they have to do. They'll rip names off the back of the jerseys, and they'll make tough decisions, and they'll do what they have to do to manage the cap and be successful. At Recliner QB, are the hamsters on standby for free agency just in case the servers go down like they did before NBC? Are they happier now that they can run on the hamster wheel for fun rather than it being a job? Listen, that was a bet. Don't bring back those memories. That was nine years ago. That was the great hamster meltdown of 2009, just as Albert Hainsworth was signing his deal with Washington. But that laid the foundation for the NBC deal. We were at a point where we needed technologically a significant, probably a six-figure minimum upgrade to service the traffic. And the one thing NBC showed us they could do, they could handle all of it. And we've rarely had a glitch. Watch, I'm jinxing it now. We've rarely had a glitch, and I'm confident that when free agency starts next Wednesday, we'll be able to serve everyone who knocks on the door. All right, got to wrap this up. Here's a gif of Arthur Blank dancing like Rodney Dangerfield and Caddyshack. It seems that Jerry Jones is pissed off his fellow owners. If you took a poll of the other 31 owners, do you think it would be 28-3 to against Jerry? I don't know that it would be that big of a landslide. Oh, I get it, 28-3. Well done, Sergio D. 28-3. Well done with with Arthur Blank doing his Rodney Dangerfield and Caddyshack dance. All right. Let's see what else we have here before we wrap this thing up. The Wednesday edition of the PFTPM podcast. At Man of Water, 3615. Kaepernick updates timeline for how this plays out. What happens if it goes to court? How much Kaepernick can win? Big fan, please answer me for once. I'll answer you. And we'll end on this. The Kaepernick process is still in the discovery phase. Kaepernick has received thousands, tens of thousands of documents text messages, emails, etc. My understanding, they're happy with what they've found. What they've found 
supports their theory of the case, their belief that collusion is being run through the league office. Not that 32 teams are secretly meeting and coming to agreements, but the league office telling people what's good and bad for business. Developments like we saw this week with Stephen Ross, helpful to the Kaepernick cause. Now, at some point, people are going to have to be questioned, owners being questioned. And trust me, you don't want owners to be questioned. People who submit to no one's authority do not want to submit to the authority of any type of legal proceeding. Owners get under oath, and they think that they can win the battle of wills. That's the hardest thing. When it comes to preparing an executive-level person to testify at a deposition, you have to get them to understand this isn't a game of chess. This isn't a battle of wits. You are there for one purpose only, to calmly and dispassionately answer the questions that are asked of you in a straightforward and honest way. The more you fight, the more that the lawyer is going to sense that you're fighting and the more that the lawyer is going to have reason to keep coming at you. The best kind of witness from the perspective of the lawyer who's responsible for defending a deposition is the boring witness, the uneventful witness, the witness who provides the stream of answers that must be provided. And you have to tell the truth. There are certain things you have to concede. If you fight those, you end up looking not credible and no one will believe anything you have to say. Ultimately to the point where you can end up being the biggest liability to the case. All right, let's call it at that. We'll do it again Friday. I'm going to skip Thursday. Sorry. Every day next week, we'll fit one in, although it's going to be crazy with free agency. But we'll at least get something in. The problem is, next Wednesday, what do we do next Wednesday? I'm going to have to take this under advisement. Next Wednesday, free agency will have just opened at about the time I tape this. So by the time we tape it and post it, it's going to be outdated. Maybe we skip Wednesday. I think Wednesday, what I'm going to do is videos throughout the day. I don't know that a PFTPM podcast makes sense next Wednesday, but let me think about that. I'll give you an update on Friday. We'll do one on Friday. Thanks for your time. Enjoy your Thursday. PFT Live Thursday morning. Chris Sims in studio for two hours. And then around the clock, profootballtalk.com. The hamsters are already working overtime. Plenty of things happening. We'll be with you every step of the way from now through the end of Free Agents and Beyond. Talk to you again Friday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.